On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group talks to Mark Anthony Kay of Project Gemini, the Yes Music Podcast, and KISS FAQ. Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this special edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we welcome Mark Anthony Kay of Project Gemini, the Yes Music Podcast, and KISS FAQ. All right, Mark, welcome back to the Palaver, man. Always happy to have you. Welcome it's back, great Mark. great to be back. I, I really uh, was looking forward to this, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's that's good. I don't know how many of our guests have uh, have come to, with that sort of an attitude, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Although hey, you you are a repeat offender, so you know you've got some experience. Yeah, well, I I I, I, lo- I, lo- I loved our last discussion. It was you know controversial to some, but I think it was a good fun. It was good fun. It was uh, it was uh, you know kind of exactly what I was hoping for with that. Um, I actually I had. Um, I had another idea that I, I wanted to pitch at some point to uh, to you and Kevin for another two pence crossover, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll mm. talk about that in the future. But you know, at this point, we want to we want to really speak to you. Um, you know, and, and we can go other places as we often do, but we really want to focus on the the Project Gemini work that that you've done. And you know, again, we we obviously became aware of Project Gemini through you and the, and the Yes Music podcast, and um, I had a, a very nice Santa Claus send me the entire catalog. Ken Gregory, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, late, uh, late no in problem. 2019. And, um, you know, because it, it was one of those things I was so e- either deep into listening to stuff for the for the palaver or editing or whatnot. I just I hadn't gotten around to it. And, uh, and, and you know, Ken sort of you know, gave me the, the impetus to, to go there. And I'm so happy he did because it was, it was such an enjoyable way to, uh, to close out my year, um, listening to these, these four records. It was, it was great. And it was fun to sort of, you know, look for maybe some of your influences based on things that, you know, I thought I knew and, and, and whatnot. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it's really been enjoyable and, and they've, they've kind of settled into my, my regular rotation at the point. So that's very cool. Oh, great. Uh, what, I, what I'm kind of curious about, I mean, I, I don't want to interrupt your sort of flow of thought, but oh, the no. one thing that it, that instantly comes to my mind, and I guess I'll ask all three of you guys this, is uh, do you have a favorite amongst the four? Uh, it's tempting to go in, in chronological order because um, I, I like the, the, the early years, and I, I see uh, kind of the more rough and tumble rock influences mm-hmm. on an ordinary day. Um, the notes I have here, uh, you know, I hear a bit of Black Sabbath. I hear a bit of Ronnie James Dio. I always hear some Queensryche. Um, and even, you know, earlier um, metal influences. And uh, I, I see a trajectory uh, from an ordinary day up to 3073, 
where uh, I, I, I suppose there's a bit more of a drama and a bit more techno entering the fold. And I'm just curious if, if the project will go back to some of the rootsier stuff at some point. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting for me to see how it progressed through the albums. And uh, well, wh- why don't we just talk about the album? So, so, so The Dawn, was it 2017 with An Ordinary Day? Yeah, yeah. Um, for, actually, I think it might have been actually 2016 I started working on it. But I think the CD came out uh probably 20 yeah i think it came out 2017 and the vinyl followed up not too uh far after that right usually i leave a little bit of a gap in between stuff because i don't like uh hitting up my supporters too quickly for things like that unless they really push me to do that right you know what i mean because i i you know parting with your own money is something I very much respect and I don't, you know, I take it very seriously. I don't expect people to just go into their wallet and drop out whatever, a hundred bucks for CD and vinyl and this and that. So I like to space it out to give people some breathing room on that. And I think it's worked out. Nobody's ever complained about it. In fact, I've actually had a few people message me saying that they really appreciate the fact that, you know, they could buy the CD and wait a few months to kind of, you know, save up some funds and then get the vinyl when it becomes available. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and you've done vinyl colors. You're, you're, you're threatening to do yellow on 3073. And I know in the past you've done green and red. Talk about the vinyl colors. Actually, I've done blue. I've done purple. And I've done green. I haven't done red yet. I've been looking to do red, but... I, I very much like to get my supporters involved in this sort of area. So when I asked them what kind of color they were interested in this time around, it was overwhelming for the yellow. Uh, but, well, uh, yeah, I, I think I think there's so much brightness in the 3073 art that, that mm-hmm. would fit in just fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So 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 easy segue here to James McCarthy. Talk about, uh, yeah, working with artist James McCarthy. Oh, well, what can I say about James McCarthy? I mean, the funny thing was when I first started this project, I, you know, I wanted to do a lot of this stuff myself. Like, and that's pretty obvious, musically producing it, mixing it, everything. It's pretty much done for the exception of the artwork because I thought to myself, if there's one thing that I'm not going to do good and I know that, excuse me, is is doing a, a, a cover like that, like a really descriptive looking cover. So I went online, I looked at a couple of different people's stuff, and then all of a sudden, um, on Facebook, ironically, he he had put up a new oil painting he had done. And it had grabbed me right away. And I think the reason why it came onto my uh, feed was because he has a, a close affinity to Yes as well. Like a couple of his paintings, he said, you know, inspired by the song and you and I, or inspired by the song uh, Siberian Katru or something like that. So I saw it and I thought to myself, hmm, this could be a like-minded person to work with. So I contacted him and asked him if he would be interested in doing an album cover to me. And the response that he gave me absolutely blew my mind when he told me this. He goes, hi, Mark. Uh, sure, I'd be interested, but I'll be honest, I've never drawn an album cover. I was like, what? You've never drawn an album cover? I go, your (laughs) art is, like, completely for it. Like, you know, he goes, I've actually been asked once to do a poster for a concert or a festival, and I did that, but I've never done an album cover. So, 
I said, you wow. absolutely have to do one for me. And he goes, okay, so what do you want to do? And I go, listen, I go, this is the way I want to approach this. I'll give you the title, and I'll give you one little, maybe little idea, just verbally to you, and the rest of it is up to you. That was the only album I told him anything about it. The second, third, and fourth, like Brand New Day, uh, Man of Science, Man of Dreams, and this latest one, I told him absolutely nothing except the title and said, do whatever you want. <laughs> and he's always come back to me with stuff that I've loved. I've called him many times my Roger Dean. So <laughs> that's amazing that uh, that that's the way you do it because you know that's always one of the one of the things that's interested me about you know album art, right? Is is how close is that connection, or or how is that connection made? So the fact that you know you're now you just give him the album title and let him run. I think is it's it's a fascinating look into that. Um, so I'm I'm curious. Do you remember what the nugget you gave him was for the first one? Yeah, actually, I do kind of remember. Um, what I did was I did a little simple hand drawing that I did in, in my house, and basically what it was that I showed him was just like a little uh, bit of water. And I showed him like this kind of odd looking uh, like box in the middle of the water that had all these little kind of uh, tubes and stuff like that. And it looked like it was pumping out water from the ocean into this thing and it was making this weird colored thing. And basically he kind of took that and ran with it. So if you, could, if you look at the first album cover, you can see all those kind of tubes and stuff like that. And I think that's mm -hmm. the only thing that he probably took from that idea. And plus that it was in submerged in water with like an island and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But mm -hmm. yeah. Just little things like that. That is very cool. So, and, and I want to I want to hop back quickly. I'll sort of work backwards to uh, through through maybe some of the, the the area that 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 Ken took us through. So, when we talk about colors, right? Because I, I, I'm I'm a chemist by training, and uh, I actually love love colors. Um, part of the uh, part of the reason right. I'm an inorganic chemist is because that's where all the colors in the periodic table are. So huh. when what what's the process for for getting colored vinyl? I'm assuming it's not difficult. Uh, is it just a matter of checking a box on an order form or Yeah, I mean right now with vinyl being so, you know, hot and you know people wanting to buy it and artists wanting to have it done uh the the color availability is at its best right now i mean maybe you know t let's say 15 years ago or whatever you know it was mainly black that people were doing and every once in a while if it was something really special they might do like a clear vinyl or they might do a you know a red one like some of the more common ones right uh but nowadays it's very simple i mean it was ironic that you asked that because about a few days ago, actually, no, it was about a week ago, uh, my guy at Train Records, who I deal with, uh, sent me a message saying, okay, we're going to get ready now to uh, approach doing the pressing of the record. What kind of yellow do you want? You know what I mean? <laughs> because he, he said, here's a, here's a chart. He goes, he gave you this website. He goes, here are the different shades and tints of yellow available. Just tell us what number from that catalog that you want. And we'll get it done. So you can get like a solid yellow and you can get translucent yellow, right? Which is like the see-through right. colored, right? And I always thought to myself that if I was going to do yellow, I very much wanted to do like a translucent because it reminds me of when Styx released uh, Grand Illusion. They had like a yellow translucent. Did they really? Uh, 
Yeah, they did. Oh. It, it, I, I have a I have a copy of it here at of home uh, of that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I decided that I was going to, you know, go down that route, especially since people were so very excited about having the yellow. I was like, you know what? I'll go with the yellow and I'll go with the translucent. So I gave them, I think it was, you know, color 237 or something. Like that it was some shade of yellow. I wanted it a little bit more like sun yellow and not so much gold. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I wanted an actual more yellow. But I'll give you another little tip that I don't know if people really clued in on. And I'm sure that some of my listeners who might uh, listen to this might actually smack themselves in the forehead, especially if they're also listeners of my KISS podcast. Um, because if they noticed how I released the colors, I did blue, I did purple, I did green. And in a way, I was almost kind of quietly hoping that they would have voted red. Because if they would have voted red then I would have been able to complete my tribute to the to the uh, Kiss solo records. When they came out, they were blue, green, purple, and red, right? Red for Gene, purple for Paul, green for uh, Peter Chris, and blue, blue for face. Ace Freely. And I was yep. gonna be I was gonna kind of announce that after I had done it, right? But it's no it's no it's no huh. matter. You know? It's close. That's it's awesome. Yeah. Hey, Our only equivalent over here is Dog Man from King's X. That's right. right. Yeah, Dog Man did come out in, in the the four different colors. Um, Abacab Mark, had speak- different different colors as well. Sorry, Paul, go ahead. That's okay, Mark. Speaking of the uh, Kiss solo albums, do you have a a favorite of those uh, four? Yes, I I do. But every day, it it's well, this is the thing with Kiss records. Every day it kind of changes. Like what my favorite is, especially when it comes to the solo records. I mean, it's always a battle between Ace and Paul. Uh, but usually, I, I I have to say I think Ace really knocked it out of the park. Wow. Okay. I'm a Paul. I'm a Paul fan of of those of those series. One other quick Kiss question before we move on, and I'm not as familiar with this album as I should be for for answering for asking this question. But um, what are your feelings on the Elder? And um, you know, any any tips for uh, any of us maybe non Kiss aficionados around uh, obtaining a copy of that or what to do with that there you go (laughs) (laughs) this actually it's very close to hand paul so (laughs) yeah this is actually a 1981 uh german pressing if you notice the logo yeah is the censored logo oh because they can't they can't do the lightning bolt s's in germany i would guess oh right it's they're it's too similar to the nazi ss's so they couldn't allow that but but there are pressings of it it's funny if you get certain uh reissues of it or certain versions of it they have uh different ones like that that you can get right i mean germany did a few different ones especially like for destroyer and stuff like that they had a Weird one that when 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 Electrola Records was distributing it, they did these complete, perfectly circular S's, like normal S's for mm. for a few presses. Then they did the normal lightning bolts, and then they did this one. So it's funny if you if you're looking for it, uh, my recommendation honestly is either go onto Discogs and look for it, or go to this page called Kiss My Wax on <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, and it's sorry. fantastic. <laughs> they have they have tons of music collectors, like record collectors there, and they're all good people, and they're they're very fair with their prices. Hmm. Hmm. So well, speaking of that, speaking of wax, I guess um, you mentioned uh, Train Records, so they're mm-hmm. Canadian, and they're they're really. They're really baiting the metal crowd here. So, so in addition to the colors they have on their site, the 12-inch picture discs 
in jackets are coming soon, and their prototype is screaming in vengeance. It looks beautiful. Wow. Yellow background and the, uh, what is that, the Hellion? Mm. Very nice. Yeah. Is that something that you're interested in? Yeah. <laughs> well, as far you're as no. a purchaser. <laughs> no, but I mean, you're in good company. So some of their clients include uh, uh, Canada's own The Tragically Hip and Rush. Mm-hmm. I, did you know that Rush did some work through them? Well, that, that's funny because when I first looked up for a company to do it with, that was one of the things that actually piqued my interest because, you know, Rush being my ah, band <laughs> of all time, you know. So. I definitely wanted to be involved with it because, you know, and, and I, if you notice my history with music overall, I tried to do that. I mean, there was a few times I did some recordings at a place called Chalet Studios and Rush did all their pre-production work there. So that was one of the reasons I went there. Uh, but as far as this goes, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely wanted to get involved with them a bit because of that. But I mean, you, you could never have that as your main reason. I mean, if the quality is good, and their work is good. That's the most important thing, no matter who's going with them, right? But uh, yeah, they've they mentioned it to me, and basically what they did is that uh, I think it was during feedback or one of those records that they were releasing at the time, uh, they had quite a mass amount of orders come in, and I think Universal Music contacted them to help if they could do a run to help with the backlog of orders that they had. So I think they printed like a run of a thousand copies of that for them. Okay, so this is a smaller outfit, kind of a boutique shop of sorts. Yeah, and that's what in, I love about it. In the grand scheme of things. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah this, this site's good. Train records. Um, uh, so, so, so with the, the mention of Rush, they, they are your absolute favorite band, correct? They certainly are. <laughs> so talk about the, 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 uh, the genre progression uh, you know, from from Ross, from 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 Kiss, the, the '70s music you love. Uh, I know you've mentioned uh, Bowie quite frequently. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, talk talk about uh, your 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 early influences and Rush, and then and then wh- how you see the 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 genre of Project Gemini. And it's allowed to be a circular conversation. It doesn't have to be definitive. But but you know, what genre are you in? Um. I I think that I'm mostly categorized by people online and from various people who review my music as progressive metal. Now, I've heard the tag symphonic metal a few times in there, but I think that's a little not so much my thing. Uh, But, you know, progressive metal, I think, is fine. Sometimes I've been given the rock, progressive rock tag, too, and that's absolutely fine by me as well. as far as the influences go, uh, some of the earliest things that I remember hearing, because my sister was my biggest influence, she's seven years older than me, and uh, she had a record player in her room, and she had a vast vinyl collection and was listening to music all the time. And, uh, you know, Kiss was one of those things that she was used to play a lot in her room, so that's how I got introduced to it. But my introduction to Rush... If you watched that Neil Peart video I did, I mentioned in there that she had left a copy of Exit Stage Left on her record player. And I went into the room one time when she was out with her friends. I go, okay, what does she have on here? And I plopped the headphones on, turned it on, and all of a sudden Spirit of the Radio came on. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And then, you know, by the time I got to the end of the side and finished getting my mind blown by Neil Peart's drum solo (laughs) and YYZ, 
I was like, what is this? Like, I, and I had to flip it over and I listened to, you know, Passage to Bangkok and all this stuff. And I was like, I was instantly, instantly hooked oh. by that point. So I was like, okay, this was great. And at that point, I had no idea what progressive rock was or stuff like that. I just knew that it was, it was a good band. And my sister told me, yeah, they're from Toronto and blah, blah, blah. So uh, that was that. Then years later, my father took me to visit a family, like a friend of his. So it was like a family friend that they had immigrated newly from Czechoslovakia over to Canada uh, a few months prior. And one of the first things that he did when he came with his family is he had bought a new stereo system turntable everything because he had brought his vinyl with him from Czechoslovakia and one of the first things he played when he when he came when I, when I got there and visited him he sat me down in his chair that was strategically placed between his stereo speakers and he goes Mark you have to listen to this and he put on Fragile by Yes right? and I remember wow. I was like wow what the hell is this because you know as soon as Chris Squire's bass comes in do 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 I was like wow that, this is really amazing like and you know again by the time you get to the end of the side it's like what am I listening to here you know it's like unbelievable so that was my next introduction to progressive music and uh, I think really where it got me really going headlong into it was I went into a music into a bookstore and in the magazine section they had a copy of Prague magazine there and i believe they it was a copy that had a a rush on it and this is like a really old copy of it and i remember i looked at it i was like oh they have a copy of you know they have an article about rush so i took it bought it brought it home and then all of a sudden i was introduced to all these other things all of a sudden you know marillion camel gong you know the Stephen Wilson later on, as I got into the magazine and, you know, kept up with it, uh, you know, Genesis, King Crimson, you know, like you just name it, anything and everything eventually was in that magazine. So, and usually what, what, what I found was that if the album covers like that were in the ads kind of interested me, I was like, okay, I got to check it out because for me, the artwork is pretty important. That's why I kind of was happy. I found James because I wanted to continue that tradition of, you know, strong artwork with music, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's funny when, when I listened to to your your bit on that and you, you just you know you just as you said you described sneaking into your sister's room to listen to whatever she had on, I was you know, among the other things, I was immediately taken back to my own <laughs> my own experiences <laughs> doing the exact same thing. My mm-hmm. uh, my my I actually did it to both my middle brother and my old, my older brother. Um, at one point later on in life, my older brother had moved back home and he had a better stereo system. So his room was the preferred room to sneak into. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so it, it was just it was funny to uh, to hear you describe that. When <laughs> quick little little sidetrack before we get back into some other stuff, you, you know, anyone who follows you on uh, on social media, you know knows obviously your both your your great love and extensive knowledge into into vinyl and and i think maybe one time more for me maybe than for our listeners but but certainly maybe for the listeners we should have you back for a a a 
you know, vinyl collector 101 thing, just to answer mm. some of the fundamental questions that I have, because just, just browsing through your Instagram feed, I'm like, how does he know all this? What, where does, you know, mm. uh, I, there, there are questions that I have, but we don't really need to get into them right now. So <laughs> well, I'm available whenever you want to do it. Uh, absolutely. I'm available. Uh, I, I love it. Um, from someone who is slowly uh, getting, getting wrapped into the idea of, of going back to vinyl. I had a similar experience with my older sisters uh, collect not. In fact, that was exactly my gateway into rush was finding my sister's copy of permanent waves and innocently, oh, nice. innocently putting it on one day and having a similar experience. Like, how can my sisters just like leave this in the corner here and not be like <laughs> listening to this every single day? Um, so, so one thing that I wanted to, to talk about, Mark, is that, you know, my, one of the things I love about Project Gemini is that, is the community, you, you call them supporters, but you've developed this great community of people who, with your YouTube updates, your Facebook page, my, my uh, you know, perception image, whenever I think of you and Project Gemini, I think of exactly this. You sitting in your studio, you got the, the hat on, the cans going, you know, you're updating us on what you're doing. Um, but I've seen the pictures of, you know, you in front of stacks of amplifiers, you know, hair flowing in the breeze and 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 playing <laughs> guitar. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, your 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 performance background, your your musical background, because um, it seems like, you know, you're playing music more than just in your in your studio there. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I mean, the funny thing is that uh, before Project Gemini, I had extensively tons more experience live in performing than I did in studio recording. Because, uh, you know, when you have other people involved in a band, uh, sometimes things stop you from getting into the studio to record money, you know, other family obligations, uh, you know, that, that, that prevent you from sitting down and working on stuff to go into the studio. But, you know, playing live was what made all of us excited and what we wanted to do all the time. And uh, we got progressively better and better with it. Uh, my first band, that I, well, my first serious band, Reckon With One, that I was with, uh, we we did we did pretty good. We, we made a pretty good uh, following in Toronto area. And then uh, we started recording. We put out a couple of CDs. The second one got picked up by a label in Montreal. And so we started playing quite a lot, and we we played for a lot of people. I mean, we played for like uh, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with some of these bands because they are more in the metal genre, and uh, some of them might be in more like the independent label stuff, like Century Media Records or Nuclear Blast Records and stuff like that. Uh, like Nevermore, uh, Devin Townsend. Oh, uh, Devin Townsend. And, we know Devin Townsend. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We opened we opened for we opened for Strapping Young Lad. Actually, the last performance that we did as a band as Reckon with One, we opened for Devin Townsend on his solo thing when he re released uh, uh, Teria. I think it was that album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, he had been touring that. I think. That's funny too. Uh, yeah. It, I sometimes I lose sight of the fact that he's he's uh, Canadian as well. Oh so, yeah. Uh, and, so yeah. Quite a interesting guy. I mean, he was telling us stories about, uh, you know, when he was younger, or, or when actually when Strapping Young Lad first started, how he was, uh, you know, going to various people's sofas to sleep because he really didn't have anywhere of his own at that point. Uh, but he was, it was very, very interesting to hear that, considering that he had 
been working with Steve Vai before yeah. that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you would think that he would have gotten some money out of that, right? Uh, but, you know, it, I don't know too much about his background, so I don't want to yeah. assume things, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we were to, we toured a lot. We, <laughs> we, were ma- we mainly toured across Canada, right, uh, as Reckon with One. But then something happened, which was very important to me and influenced me quite a bit, is that I got asked to audition for Mr. Gord Kirchen, better known as the Exalted Pile Driver. Uh, mm. He is a legend amongst the thrash music scene in Canada and in Europe, especially. Uh, and I got asked to try out on guitar. I went. Uh, we got along immediately because we found a connection in Frank Zappa. We talked three hours on the phone, nothing but Frank Zappa. And he, we ended up, you know, clicking that way and musically. And I got into the band. And next thing I know, for the next three or four years, my world was nothing but touring everywhere. You know, we played in America a lot. We played Cleveland, Chicago. Jeez, uh, we played like everywhere in New York City, uh, Boston, Philadelphia. And then we got the big call to ask if we wanted to do a run of shows in Europe. We played at the Keep It True Festival in Germany, and that was something, walking out and all of a sudden seeing a sea of like 6,000 German people in a hall. Wow. I was like, oh my God. It was like unbelievable for some guy who was just playing before to like, you know, 50, 60 people at a club in Toronto, right? Yeah. And then th- and then it, j- it just continued from there. Like We went everywhere. We went to Nuremberg. We went to Athens, Greece. We went to uh, Padova, Italy. I mean, and everywhere it was just nothing but jam-packed halls and the, the one site that and the one memory that'll always stick with me forever was we went to play a show i believe it was the one in athens greece and these two guys came up to us huge guys like you know cut off jean jackets you know patches on the back and they had a copy of the metal inquisition album from pile driver in their hands and they walked up to us and they go excuse me are you guys from Piledriver? I go, yeah, I'm the guitar player, and this is Gord. And then, and then one guy started crying in front of me. And he, and I, he goes, I have waited 20 years to, to see you guys live, and this is the moment when I get to see you guys. Could you please sign this record, and can I get a picture with you guys? And I've never seen two huge, massive biker guys like just, mm. just break down and ball that they were able to meet. And I, and I really took it seriously because I was thinking to myself, the power of music is mm. so impressive that it could do something like that to a bunch of people that you would never probably approach willingly, you know, because you would fear your life, you know, because these guys were really intimidating looking. But they were such gentle people once they started talking music, you know. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that's amazing. I love that story. That's so cool. I, and I, I, I never knew that. That's, that's amazing, Mark. Thank you for telling us that. Wow. Yeah, All right, problem. we're we're, we're going to have to get you into the pile, pile driver wiki because it's uh, it's uh, seriously lacking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> the the Palaver Research Department on the fly as always. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. So going back to uh, to to Project Gemini and and one of the things that struck me to to circle all the way back. I I flip flop much like you with with Kiss. I, I between my favorite. I, I mean, again, I like all four of them, but um, I I kind of flip flop between a brand new day and and thirty seventy three. I, I I can't really decide. 
um, between those two. 3073, one of the things I, I really enjoy about that, I you know, I, I like that, that sort of story and the flow to it. But one of the things that, that really sort of leapt out to me on, on 3073 is very specifically... And, and I don't. You can tell me if if this was on purpose or just sort of a happy accident or whatnot. There are a couple of what I like to refer to as grace under pressure moments in there. It, mm. Was that something that just sort of popped up, or were you listening to Grace Under Pressure at the time? I, I, how did that come about? Um, I have these moments where I listen to Rush a lot, and then I, I put it away for a little bit, and then I come back to it, and I put it away a bit. Um. It's very interesting, and I must tip my hat to you, sir, uh, that you were able to pick up on so specific a record because Grace Under Pressure has been my kind of, you know, my my Linus blanket, you know, like from (laughs) whenever I needed some sort of, you know, comforting moment, I would slap on grace under pressure for some reason you know because usually most people associate that record as a very cold record yeah very you know very very wintry album and and i agree you know it has a very cold topics in there you know nuclear war and stuff like that and you know death after image and stuff like that right um but yeah one thing that alex lifeson has always inspired me with is his sort of use of very large chords with use of whammy bar and that to me very much leaps out i think in the last song yeah uh keepers of secrets i believe it's called it's terrible i don't even remember my own titles keepers but, of the past yeah, yeah there you go that's there it go. so uh, i i not really in you know that kind of guitar playing i thought fit in that introduction to that song and th- there are moments like that in this record i mean it's probably the only time on that record where I pull out my white Jackson uh, guitar that I have. Yeah. I, I, had, I had an endorsement deal back in the day with Jackson guitar. So I have a couple of them and they're my only guitars. I still have that have a whammy bar on it. So when, mm. if I need to go really Alex Lifeson, I pull that out and do that. Otherwise I go back to my beloved uh, Gibson Les Paul or my SG. While, while we're, we're talking about uh, keepers of the past, um, it is, I, the um, some of the I, I don't know if it's the the guitar or, or the the production of thirty seventy three, but but that particular uh, the particular opening of that re- really to me is the perfect amalgamation of um, influences coming for me from Operation Mindcrime and Grace Under Pressure all all at the same time. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it puts a smile on my face every every time I listen. Yeah, well, I can definitely hear it with that drum and bass introduction. That's very rock and field and uh, I forget mm. what, uh, what's his name? Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, That's Jackson. it, yeah. Eddie Jackson. I mean, those two are one of the better rhythm sections in progressive rock for sure. So I, I'm very much... Uh, honored to be put into that discussion when did you jump on the queen's train because we've we've cited them as we think they're an influence of yours but can you substantiate that like 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 when did you know they existed uh i knew they existed about 1989 and i remember specifically why i remembered that because i was about uh, I think I was about 18 years old or so. 
And uh, me and my friends, who are in this band called Nasty Black, it's totally like hair metal stuff. Okay, uh, you you would laugh if I showed you a picture. I had the, you know the, the font hair. I, I think we have boots. similar pictures. Yeah, we've got pictures. Yeah. Similar pictures. <laughs> yeah, and we were we, you know I would go and grab my father's station wagon. We would pack up our stuff into the car, and we would go to this jam night that would happen here in Brampton every every Saturday night. And we would go there and we would go, you know, try to sneak on and do like a Black Sabbath song or something. But the one night when I was going, my friend, Michael, jumped in the car and goes, hey, Mark, you got to throw this into the, to the stereo. And my father had this amazing stereo system in his car, cassette deck system. And uh, he had like this amplifier. You just pull this little latch at the bottom and it would totally like turn it into this like really concert hall effect. It was amazing. And... Uh, I took this cassette. I looked at it. I'm like, what is this? He goes, put it in. You're going to love it. Okay. And I remember I slapped it in. I listened to it and I was like, what is this? Because at first, all I heard was like this sound of like, you know, uh, people talking. And all of a sudden, this nurse's voice comes across the oh, PA nice. system. And I was like, what is this? And then all of a sudden, it starts, you know, I remember now. I remember how it started. I'm like, what is this? He goes, just he goes, don't worry, man, listen. And it starts up, you know, with Anarchy X or whatever that song is called. And then I was like, wow. And the first thing that kind of hit me was this has some really odd production. There's there's no real bottom end to this album. What's going on here? But then I totally forgot about that because the music was so good. And the singing was so incredible. I was like, what is this? And look at it. And it was, you know, Operation Mindcrime, Queensryche. And that cassette was bought by me later um, mm -hmm. and never left my car for months. And then I went back and started getting everything in, the, in, in their back catalog. And I can easily say that my favorite Queen's Rake record is Rage for Order. Boom. That's it, man. I love it. <laughs> we, are, we are completely aligned. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. That's I, great. I thought you guys all think the same. That's great. Yeah, it was. Oh, I, I, it was funny. I remember, and we've, we've told the story on the Palaver probably several times of when our friend Tom showed up to school one morning with Mind Crime absolutely losing his mind there's a there's a there's a funny follow-on story around empire that we will not repeat for um fifth amendment issues but i will say that you know the the rest of these guys you know there was when we were in in high school there was the, the band of five and then there was me and like Dan, Ken, and Paul, I guess you guys, well, and Tom, you guys were all in choir together, so you had some sort of, you know, connection above and beyond. You spent more time together, whatever it was. Long story short, one of those three had gotten on Rage for Order first, and, and I remember hearing it percolating around the group for a certain amount of time before I ever heard it, and, and so it, there was this, this sort of white noise buildup, if you will. And and I remember when I first heard it, and I'm like, oh, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you guys had older siblings. I did not. Yeah, so see, Ken, I, Ken, was, Ken was the leader. Well, I was notorious for staying up late with blank cassettes and just trying to record things. So um, I recorded the actual... 
MTV debut of Exit Stage Left. You guys referenced that. And get, just moving along real quickly, uh, you know, there were entire album sides that would be played on our FM station here uh, that I would record. So, so, so that, 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 that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, that led me to Metal Shop. I would just sit there and record this show that we had called Metal Shop. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Pr- pretty amazing. I remember, you know, except balls to the walls. There wasn't a week. <laughs> yeah. It's like you had to play that on Metal Shop, damn it. Get your balls to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. I yeah. love it. I love some influences. Yeah, I love it. So I'm so Mark, I'm going to be extremely decisive in my favorite project Gemini album and it is in the year 3073 book 1. And probably one of the one of the reasons it is is because first of all I'm incredibly impressed with how prolific you are and how how quickly you can produce things that sound so good. I think you've released your entire catalog in the same amount of time it took me to record and produce and release a single four-song EP. So, um, and and I followed you along. I felt like it was at some point in time early last year, I think on your Facebook page, you posted sort of the handwritten prologue to mm-hmm. 3073. And I remember like clicking in the picture and like making it bigger on my phone and and reading it and being like at the very end being like, oh, wow, I can't wait for this. And and then you you kept updating us. You had like a, a a ringed binder that was handwritten with all of the different instruments and yeah and and I was and it was almost like a project management course in how to record a, an album. And I just as the year progressed and as you kept updating and and sharing with what you've done, I, I was just amazed at how quickly that you went through it. So and then to hear it to get the CD and to get, you know, it was, it was wonderful. I think I ordered, I pre-ordered the CD and then, <laughs> and then one day you're just like, I can't wait to release it. I'm, I'm sending it out right now cause it's ready. And, and mm-hmm. so I was able to start listening to it on the Bandcamp uh, app. And, um, and it was just, it was just so cool to hear. And I, and I really, that's part of what I wanted to ask you a little bit about too, is, is some of that creative process. Like you, you put that prologue, and it seemed like immediately you were in the midst of recording. So I'm curious how you how you go about this. Do you did you write the whole thing? Do you have it? You know, do you have the words first? Yeah. I mean, this the same typical questions that everybody asks. But I'm really curious about the the creative process and the production process that you go through and and how 3073 came came into being. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'll go through with this, and if I steer off course. Put me back on course, okay? Um, so the I kind of had to think of the story first. With this record, because I wanted it to be such a concept album, you know, not just a bunch of stories that kind of had a loose connection, I needed to think of the story first. And my big thing around the story was that, and I think I might have mentioned it to you guys once before, where I said that everybody in the metal scene or progressive scene seems to write these stories about everything being so negative that the earth got blown to pieces and the stories about how people were pulling themselves up from this dust and trying to recreate earth again and i always thought to myself why does it always have to be such a negative story i go why can't it be that you know a group of people think it's gonna disaster is coming they pick up their bags and they leave they come back later and discover that when they left the Earth, 
that the people that stayed behind were able to remedy the problems and Earth became an absolute paradise. So not a bad thing. Something good happened. Wow, what a concept, you know? <laughs> Something good happening in, in this, you know? So I thought it was a great idea to take it that way. And uh, that's how I wrote part one. Now, I have book two sort of already figured out. It's not completely written. I do have a book here. This is my little ah. book of where I write my notes. Nice. Look at that. Wow. Of stuff. Okay. And uh, it's actually pretty thorough because if you kind of look at it there, I think I kind of have it written like almost like a script. Mm. Okay. Right. And that's how I kind of like to approach it. Like almost like I'm writing like a, you know, a Star Trek episode or something like Captain Picard says, you know, Counselor mm. Troy mm. Yeah. says, All right. you know, and I kind of write out the story because obviously I can't do that on the album, you know what I mean? But I at least have to have the the story written and take the strongest parts of the story and turn those into songs. You know what I mean? So that you can follow the story, you know what I mean? Then that's the way I'd look at it, because you have to kind of keep the strongest parts of the story there so that you can have a story. You don't want to put in like a song that's seven minutes long that's about something very minor in the story, you know what I mean? So I kind of keep those bits in where I could put the lyrics. Because if you notice, I have the lyrics there. But before it, I kind of go into a bit more yes. detail about what happens. Which is perfect. Right? Yes. I yeah. Also, I, yeah. And I want to just say I like that you're admitting that book two is, is, is being developed. And you're not going George Lucas on us. Like, oh, yeah, I wrote all nine episodes already. And, you know, <laughs> wow. so I appreciate, <laughs> no, no. I appreciate the honesty there. <laughs> yeah. I'm, because, I mean sometimes better ideas come sometimes i have an idea that might better the story so i kind of like the idea that i can kind of still have some uh flexibility in the story part of it now um when i once i had the ideas i had to kind of associate a feeling and a mood to each part so first song that we have you know let your spirit fly was something of quite excitement, I thought, to them. You know, they came back, they made contact with the people on the planet and realized what the hell happened here. Everything looks beautiful and nothing happened. So it was almost like a feeling of surprise and overwhelming excitement. So I kind of tried to do that. And that's why I got Joe involved with the singing on this record, because I wanted to have a counterpoint, <clears throat> like a person there who could represent the other people, like the, the people mm -hmm. that are on Earth. So I thought that worked really well, actually, having him on there. Real, real quick. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'd, I wanted to ask you about that because he I think he does most of the parts that are like the, the people of Earth and the keepers. Mm -hmm. um, it was. And, but you have distinct characters uh, through this narrative, right? There's the, mm -hmm. the commander, the second officer, the president. What did you ever consider bringing in multiple vocalists to play all these different roles? I thought about it, but then I thought to myself, if I did that, people would start going, oh, Arion, Arion, you know, you're copying Arion, you know, like with uh -huh. the Andrew Lukensen there and Andrews Lukensen. I forget his name, but he's a uh, he's notorious for that, okay. you know, making kind of these rock operas. Right. 
And I wanted to keep it more simple. You know, it's easier to work with one other person than it is with six others. For right? sure. So, plus, <clears throat> plus, you wouldn't have been able to do it in record time uh, if you have to bring in more people. <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, in the Battle of the Epic Forest, Peter Gabriel played about 25 different people. So it's, it's all true. good. <laughs> it's true. All yeah. right. Well, let's give Joe Bailey uh, a proper uh, introduction. Uh, he's from the UK, and he's actually about 10 years younger than you are, right, Mark? He's mm-hmm. he, he's the tail end of, 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 of Gen X or something. So does he have the same influences you have? He has similar but different. For example, he loves Stephen Wilson, Porky Pine Tree. He loves Rush. He loves Genesis. He likes Yes. But he also likes Cradle of Filth. He also likes a lot of these harder stuff. Emperor, mm-hmm. like really like, like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Because I thought at first, would he, would he be into my stuff? And I sent him, let your spirit fly. He wrote me back this huge message, all in caps. Like, <laughs> this is amazing. I love it. I can hear right away what, I, what I'm going to do. And I was like, okay, great. So send it to me. <laughs> so, he, so he went and Party up. so he went and did it. He sent it back, and what you hear on the record is exactly what he sent me. Mm. I was like, wow. "This is fantastic!" Like, uh, and I said, "Okay, this is good. How about this song, which was Children of Hope?" All right. He sent me back exactly what you hear on the record. I sent wow. him the last song, and he did the exact same thing. I was like, this guy is really, really good. And he's the British, the younger British equivalent of me, I think. He does the same thing. He does all his own music, everything top to bottom, engineer, mix, master, everything he does himself. So I was like, this is great. So um, just a little side note, we've been quietly working on a record together, me and him. A totally separate thing nice. from Project Gemini that we will announce sooner than later. But just to let you know, we have seven songs written wow. already. That's for this. Cool. And it's really, really good. I think you think you guys will like it. Uh, um, you know, the palaver is starting to become the rumor mill of the progressive rock community. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's how did good. you, Mark, how did you hook up with Joe? Um had you worked together before or had you guys known each other some, some other way? This is another great story. Um, I am fortunate that my music has been played by quite a few uh, shows on the internet. Uh, you know, like they have all these kind of like the prog mill and, uh, you know, Potter than hell and all these places that, that play music and like dedicated radio shows. And, uh, there's a radio show out of England, a Wales actually, called Check It Out, it's called. And uh, DJ Peter Prague does that show. Great guy, mm. fantastic taste in music, and just totally diverse, like stuff I've never heard of. And then one day I was uh, sitting down listening to his show, and he has a segment called Album of the Week. So he'll pick an album and he'll play like, as much of it as he can, like let's say five out of the six songs, right? And the one week I was there, he said, this week on Check It Out, we're going to have our album of the week, which is Joe Bailey. And uh, I forget what the name of the album is, but it's the most latest one that he put out. Um, And they played it. And he was 
there in the chat room with us answering questions. And I kept messaging him back and forth, asking him questions about, you know, how did you record it? And what kind of guitars did you use? And stuff like that. <clears throat> and we had this discussion going back and forth. And then out of the chat room, I messaged him in a, in a private message. And I said, Joe, I really like your stuff. Would you be interested in singing on my new record? And he goes, you're in Project Gemini, aren't you? I go, yeah, I, I am Project Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, I really like your stuff. I heard your album on the album of the week when you did Man of Science. And uh, he goes, I'd love to try it. So we connected that way from a radio show wow. in a chat room. And, uh, you know, I heard how he sang because this stuff is really good. I would really suggest checking it out if you haven't. He has a great voice, and he's a really great uh, writer. Very Genesis influenced, whether he and whether he notices it or not. But a lot of uh, Genesis stuff in there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it uh, looks like his catalog spans 2015 to 2019, and the latest title is it Less Than Nothing? Does it sound yeah. right? Yeah, okay. that's the one that's really, really good, really good. And uh, that, that uh, I think that's the one. Yeah, I'm actually on that album. I played guitar solo on Ghost Ghost Town, I think is a song there called that. Let's see if the research department can figure it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they can. It's it's funny you talk about that. It, it reminded me of a, of a story from, from back in our day, um, back when I used to think that, that I could write songs. Uh, when I moved to Texas, I had recorded a couple of things and I came home for New Year's that one time with, you know, like four or five songs, something really cool, played it for the guys. And, and I remember we were sitting in Tom's kitchen on New Year's Eve and Paul, you said to me, you know, it's really funny, Joe, this sounds a lot like early rush, but I know you don't listen to early rush, <laughs> which was true at the time I, I hadn't at the time, but you know, sometimes those things just sort of percolate in. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Indeed, it indeed it was Ghost Town, Mark, that you played on. Oh, great. Okay. And, and yeah. I don't know if we can see this, but but Mark was, oh, was there similar the to the hair that maybe you were thinking of. Ah, look at that! <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, I feel a, I feel a sense of one with you now. Since <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was our friend Tom. He had the best hair in the group, no doubt about it. Yeah. Oh, and to answer one more question for you, Paul. Yeah. Um, as far as the uh, the recording of the record, um, I very much like to do something. I don't know. People think this might be humorous or whatever, but when I record at home, I kind of try to envision myself being in an actual studio, like a big one, and I kind of set up my Pro Tools in a in a way that would make me think that because you can get all these classic plugins, you know, like uh, mm. the Eddie Kramer series, you can get the Abbey road stuff and stuff like that. So yeah. when I did uh, an ordinary day, I set up all the Abbey road plugins so that I kind of made it like I was recording there. Cool. So, the, so <laughs> the tone, nice. so that, yeah. So that the tone of the record had very much that flavor. Then when I did a brand new day, I got out all the Eddie Kramer stuff that I had. And so it was more like an Olympic studios kind of vibe. Nice. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and uh, the funny thing is the last two, uh, Man of Science and this one, 3073, I totally went Chris Lord Algae and mm. did nothing but SSL stuff. Wow. And okay. I think it turned out really, really good. I think this last record sounds sonically my favorite. 
Um, I think it has great clarity and it has some good bottom end. I think Man of Science was a little bottom end heavy in spots, but <clears throat> I think this one has a good combination of both. And the most importantly, the guy who cuts my vinyl, does my lacquers, hmm. uh, Kevin Park out of Lacquer Channel in Toronto, he said that this album was the easiest one for him to prep for vinyl. So that's got to tell you something about the final nice. result because there's always something you have to watch out for. You have to make sure all your bass stuff is in mono, that anything under 350 hertz has to stay mono, no stereo spread right. because it'll bump your needle, right? Mm. <clears throat> well, talk wow. about, yeah, talk about drum ambience as you're talking about uh, uh, the SSL or whatnot. That's that's probably more like a, a tonal thing, but 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 also take that into the, uh, the, 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 the depth and the space that you're filling with the drums. Like, like what size are you going for there? Oh, I like to catch, keep my kits kind of, uh, the bass drums, I like them to be like 24 inch kicks, like those kind of big, powerful kicks. But I like my toms to be a bit smaller, like 10 inch, 12 inch. So that when you hit them, you have a lot more initial hit from them. Right. Cause I find sometimes if you have too big a drum, you just get that. Ooh, like that low end from it and not so much the tone of the drum right so i like to do that i use i use this uh tama kit an art star kit mm. which sounds really really good and what i tend to do is i'll keep the drums relatively dry when i do them and when i mix them but i'll always have a set of really really wet room mics and if i want more space i'll bump those up and if i don't need it i'll just pull them back just a splash of bottom to to fill them. yeah 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 um and and and, and where are you now on the progression of guitars mic amps versus sans amps versus plugins um really right now i like to use my line six pod still but i still use my using kettner or right over here is my little Two Meister five watt amp, and mm. uh, I use that as well. But for this new record, book book two, I will be going back to using my using Kettner, running it into my Marshall four twelve cabinet that's in my other room, and I'm going to pull out my SM fifty seven, mic it, and do that. And it's funny that I, that I mentioned that because I believe earlier you asked me if I was going to be going back to some of my earlier roots on future records. Well, an ordinary day was recorded all like that. There was no um, like plugins and stuff like that for the guitar. It was all mic'd cabinet for the guitars. Mm. Mm. So that's mm. the one thing mm. that's very different from the rest of the records. Um. Yeah. You've mentioned Mick Ronson. Um, I, I guess I guess uh, uh, you're not an Earl Slick guy when it comes to the David Bowie solo stuff. You like the, the really early Mick Ronson stuff. Um, I like Earl Slick. I think you know Golden Years and that stuff is fantastic. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've I love all of Bowie's stuff. I mean, I have all the boxes that came out recently for his stuff. I got them. Uh, I've got like nine copies of Ziggy Stardust. I got 
like 10 different pressings of Aladdin Sane. You know, I mean, and I have like seven copies of Young Americans and stuff like that. I mean, I love everything. I, I think Carlos Alomar is one of the most underrated guitar players that Bowie had. Mm. And the other two people that I think were incredible for Bowie was, uh, was his, was his name, uh, G- Greg, Gerald Leonard. He was a guy right. who played in, uh, on the reality tour with him. He is really good. He does a lot of like looper stuff and really great stuff. But Earl Slick is fantastic. And the other guy who has to get mentioned is Adrian Ballou. Oh yeah. I wow. really love, really love the stuff he did when he did the sound and vision tour with them. <clears throat> and he, and he was on lodger too. So, you know, great stuff. But my, but look at my heart really, when it comes to Bowie is with Mick Ronson. I've loved his playing. I'm, I'm, I'm on the hunt still now for a 1976 Les Paul like his, you know what I mean? Cause I want to get a Les Paul like that. <clears throat> and, wow. uh, yeah, that I would, would love the playing. We'll, we'll help you find that, I think. I think we can do it. We can pull our resources together. And, and, and sounds- the, the Palaver is really good at sort of supporting um, uh, purchases of this nature. We we, we <laughs> offer great support in, in encouraging yeah. other members to spend, you know, significant <laughs> amounts of change on guitars and, and equipment. So we're there for you. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Uh, I look forward to your support. <laughs> <laughs> we we might be able to offer this as a service. Who knows? You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mark. I, no, I appreciate the, the the technical clarity of in the year thirty seventy three. But but I, I'm I, I'm more the kind that you know, would go back and find the the, the slightly dirtier stuff. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Like how ordinary day has a little bit more grit to it. Well, I'll I'll tell you. I I am thinking that it will kind of slowly start drifting that way because book two will go into a little bit of some of the dirty laundry that the people of earth have oh. that will be exposed. So what better way to musically, you know, help that along than a little bit of more dirtier, heavier guitars. Yes. I like that. So back to the, to the story you mentioned, you know, you wanted to, to have sort of this positive view, but um, I, as I read the booklet, and then listen through the uh, book one. Uh, it seems that we do uh, have some foreshadowing of some uh, more diabolical type of things happening uh, on planet Earth. So, was that originally part of the idea, or did that come uh, uh, come about as you uh, evolved the story? It was originally involved in there because I want to ask a question to my listeners and to my supporters, and that is. If you want to achieve paradise, the way you get to it, is that important or not? Oh, do the nice. means or the, do the ends justify the yes. means question? Yes, exactly. That's the kind of thing I wanted to present in book two, because the people that are living this life, the kids that you see jumping into the water and playing in those water slides, and the happy people that are coming door to door and giving each other, you know, baskets of food and you know letting each other in and chatting for hours would would they care that a hundred years back some radical things happened that they had to do in order for them to get to this point 
that's always the question that always fascinates me with stuff. Will people be willing to accept that and forgive it? Or will they, you know, will they punish for it? And, and, and how do you, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, kind of running with your idea here at the, you know, it's easy to evaluate that perhaps a hundred years down the road when you have those rewards, but at the time when it's ongoing and the, the delivery of those rewards is uncertain. How is it viewed in sort of that environment as well? Very cool. I like it. Mm, very awesome. Yes. You know, and I, and I mean, I didn't originally plan to tip that hat, but I feel very comfortable with you guys in the sense that I don't mind letting out the cat out of the bag a little bit, you know? <laughs> oh, but by the time we edit this episode, it'll, right. it'll have 14 songs instead of seven. <laughs> 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 so, so as we as we talk about you know expanding product lines and everything else, um, so Mark, I, I just feel I have to ask, what are the uh, what are the the percentages here of getting um, in the year thirty seventy three novelizations out? <laughs> well, you know, let's put it this way: I'm kind of um, like as I showed you, I'm kind of writing the story as I go. Exactly, and it's you know it could be that way where it could turn into a short story you know what i mean um I, d I don't know if i have it in me to write a full you know jrr tolkien 500 page you know story out of it but you know maybe like an anthem you know short novelette yeah. or something like that around it and i'd be i'd be really hip to that if i could maybe find somebody who would be willing to help me do that and i know julian for example, Julian Gill, who runs the KISS FAQ podcast, he's released like, Jesus, like 15, 16 books oh, really? about KISS. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. Actually, hang on a second. I'm going to show you something. Yeah, um, I've seen I've seen that book. Is that the one about the elder yeah. right there? Yeah, this is the book about the elder. And I mean, let's put it this way. He interviewed everybody almost down to the janitor who worked at the studio like that <laughs> detailed like he's like you know that book i mean sorry you know that door that's on the album cover yeah. like he found out who designed that door or where that door is and talked to the person like it's that detailed you know <laughs> and like he also did this this is my favorite book from him oh wow so i cool. mean these He's wrote, written 15 of these things? There's so If you look up Julian Gill and on Amazon and look for books, you'll find so many books by him. And he's also done like a book on Def Leppard. And right now, he's doing a big, big undertaking of an Aerosmith book. Right? So um, and what I was trying to get at with him is that if I was able to get this novelette written he would be the ideal person for me to talk to about getting it actually printed because wow. he does his books all independently that mm. is amazing yeah so that's you know that's something we can maybe look forward to that'd be cool that's that is amazing listen uh mark you you may not know this but basically progressive palaver was instituted so that i could maximize my amazon prime membership which kind of gets <laughs> joe joe a little bit you know crunched up a little bit but 
But I recently found out all this time I can be reading books on on my iPad through the Kindle app. So I might actually be able to, um, yeah, read these books right on my Kindle because I just I just popped up Julian Gill on Amazon. And yes, there is. I think there is room on this page for a um, a uh, in the year thirty seventy three. So, uh, so short story not, for sure. Not not to be pedantic, Paul, but but keep in mind that you did set a palaver goal to finish the uh, Clockwork Angels novelization as well. So well, don't don't distract yourself too much. I really <laughs> and now I really have to, um, given recent given recent it's a um, great developments. Book. I'm going to have to go back and and redo that one now. Um, sim- simply, it's a terrible reason to say, but just you know because of Neil Peart's passing, I'm going to need to uh, live up to that. I really liked that Clockwork Angels book. It was really good. I'm looking at Leopard Tracks from Julian Gill on Amazon. Def Leopard on tour, 1978 to 1988. That that mm-hmm. decade, I think it's half music and half sex. Wouldn't that be what they were doing? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would say so. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of uh, interesting stories from that timeline. With Kiss, I'm sure that's yeah. I'm sure the ratio is about the same there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, what is thought about being acceptable today in the standards of sharing information? I wonder if we would have applied those standards to, say, Led Zeppelin in the 70s, what the book Hammer of the Gods actually may have been uh, about. Just a <clears throat> brief aside, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. we've, we've covered a huge swath of, of areas, but I, I want to keep some things maybe, you know, on the table for the next time mm-hmm. when we talk to, to Mark and Project Gemini as, uh, as we look forward to in the year um, 3073 book two coming out. Any idea mm-hmm. on, on, you know, do you have a, a, a target for that? Not, not a hard date, but maybe a, a, a projected timeline? Next month. Well, Well, actually, the funny thing is that I kind of have like a timetable I set for myself. Like next coming up is the vinyl release. In fact, the pre-order for the vinyl will probably start next week, I think, for that. Um, Then the next on the table will be that secret album I was talking to you guys about. That'll come out. That's going to be next on the table. Uh, But while that comes out... And while, you know, we, we released a single and, you know, Joe and I do little things here and there to promote it, I will be writing book two at that time. I think that book two will not take me very long to do because I've had all this time to think of the story, where it's going to go, how it's going to end. I've already had a bunch of little ideas musically in my head. Like, ooh, this is a good idea for this song or ooh, this is a good idea for that. So I think it's just a matter of me sitting myself down, grabbing my guitar or sitting in front of my lovely keyboard here and actually putting down my rough ideas first and then it just grows from there. So I'm hoping that I'll have book two out by September. (laughs) September. Paul, you hearing that? I'm hearing it. (laughs) So can can we get resurrection done by September, you think? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Is this your your EP you're talking about? (laughs) It's it's so, just it's one specific song actually that Paul and I were yeah. talking about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I I, uh, I I'm a much slower operator when it comes to uh, to the the recording process, but um, 
More on that later. But let me I give you one word of encouragement. Sure. Let me give you one word of encouragement. Tom Schultz took a long time with his records, and look how good they were. Hell yeah. That's go. good. That's good. Good to keep in the back of my mind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so any any sort of last thoughts for Mark before we sort of uh, close this one out? Uh, Mark, do you think you will see yes with Alan Parsons as these dates are slowly trickled out? Well, if they're if they're kind enough to me to come to my neck of the woods, then yes, of course. Because, I mean, I was overjoyed when they came for the Royal Affair Tour. I mean, I was there and loving every second of it. So, And I was supposed to talk to Billy. He actually was going to bring me backstage and let me hang out. But by the time he came back, it, it was just too... It was just too close to him getting ready for the show because he also played for with Asia too, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any time. But yes, I'd love to go. If they come, then I will be there for sure. All right. Excellent. Paul? No, thanks so much, Mark. It's been a great great time hearing about uh, your, your background, your previous life before Project Gemini. It's been awesome. Looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, Mark, thank you so much for, for spending time with us. I really, really enjoy getting to uh, to talk to you. I mean, there's such a, a wide breadth of, of topics that we can cover. So again, you know, we, we every time I talk to you, I come up with another idea or two um, to keep bringing you back. So, <laughs> so, so uh, I, I definitely look forward to that. I do want to just say a complete non sequitur and, and pointless thing that the, the Project Gemini logo is absolutely brilliant. I love it. Um, and we very much look forward to, I guess, you know, all all of the things that you described the uh, the, the vinyl release of thirty seventy three book one, um, the super secret album, and then looking forward to uh, thirty seventy three book two and beyond. So that is mm-hmm. uh, that's very exciting. Thank you very much. I mean, I love being on the show with you guys, and like you said, if you want to do that vinyl episode, I'm right here to help you guys out. And any other thing you guys have ideas with. All you need to do is just text me. Yep, you know we'll throw out a teaser here. That's the the Rush Grammy episode. We need to consider mm-hmm. all of the Grammys that Rush didn't win and whether they should have won them or not. So, mm. <laughs> well, I think I think we know the 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 answer to the second part of that question. <laughs> well, I'll be fair about that. Yeah, and, and, you I know, would be fair about it, it. It's all good. So. Uh, you know, for our our listeners out there, um, you know, for those of you who have heard Project Gemini and have any, 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 you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts and your your impressions of of Mark's music. If you haven't, we highly encourage you to go out um, and and Mark, so they can find your your discography on Bandcamp. Is that correct? Yeah, everything is there. Most stuff is available on CD and vinyl. So definitely go to Bandcamp and and, and check it out. It really is. Um, very, very enjoyable, um, and with the great artwork and everything else, it, it's a great, uh, it's a great sort of package there. So, um, again, we encourage your your thoughts, your questions, your feedback, your comments. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Progpala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So, until next time, thanks for listening.